AWRI Decanted, a podcast from the Australian Wine Research Institute, where wine scientists reveal their latest discoveries and how they're being used by grape growers and winemakers. In a young wine-producing nation like Australia, the story of varieties and the impact of the regions they come from is a recent one, and it's continuing to evolve. What though if terroir could be scientifically determined, thereby enabling producers to better tell the story of the varieties from their region? Well, that's been the mission of sensory scientist Wes Pearson, who recently completed a PhD on this, and he joins me now in the AWRI studio to discuss the importance of this work. Wes, thanks for your time. Pleasure to be here, Drew. Thanks for having me. Wes, first of all, what is a sensory scientist? Sensory science is a reasonably new area of study. It's probably only 50 or 60 years old. And I think the whole idea behind sensory science was being able to use humans, use people, use their senses to be able to measure things just in the same way that you would measure things in a laboratory. Or when you go into the lab and you want to measure something, you need to calibrate it. In that same kind of way, we try to use people and train them and calibrate them so that we can use them to measure things. And so that's part of how we use sensory science here at the AWRI, especially in something like wine, in that kind of space, you can do all you want with all the chemistry and and everything involved with that wine, but if you can't smell or taste the difference or what's going on with the wine, then why does it matter, right? Why would you bother? So that's kind of a, a way that we use sensory science to back up all of the research that we do. If you're going to do an experiment and you can measure how the smell or the taste of a wine has changed by the treatment that you've done, well, then you can say, look, my experiment worked. And then you could take that farther to consumers and you could say, you know, here, which wine do you like better? They choose the one that, that you've done the experiment on. Then you can say, all right, you can smell and taste the difference from what we've done, and consumers like it better. And so now that's a more powerful piece of information or research if you want to, to present to industry to help uptake of what it is we're doing. So that's why it's an important step in everything we do here at the AWRI. That all sounds very quantifiable. Let's take a step back then, Wes. How does a Canadian snowboarder end up as a sensory scientist at the Australian Wine Research Institute and also on the side of winemaker at McLaren Vale? Well, when I finished high school, I moved to um, the ski fields at Whistler, British Columbia, just to spend a winter riding a snowboard. And so to do that, I got a job in a restaurant. That way it ensured that I could work evenings and I would have my days free to ride my snowboard. You know, and then one winter turned into many winters, in fact. But the more time I spent working in food and wine, the more I became interested in it. And that interest grew with wine till a decade later when I decided that, all right, it was time for me to move on. Um, went back to school and did a degree in wine biochemistry. I wanted to stay in wine, but didn't want to stay working in, the, in hospitality. So did my studies in uh, British Columbia. Then I got a job in Bordeaux. And um, the opportunity came up to move to Australia and, and looking at... From a cultural perspective, stable economy, speak the same language, you know, Australian and Canadian cultures are pretty close. Just thought it would be a seamless move and to be able to move here, be able to live by the ocean, incredible climate, incredible wines, moving into Adelaide, you know, having access to the city, the beach, and being entrenched in the wine region here, it seemed like a no-brainer. So that was, um, that was how I ended up in McLaren Vale. 
And because of my background, my education was more in a biochemistry space as opposed to just pure winemaking, a move to the AWRI seemed like a, a logical place to end up. And as it turned out, it worked out nicely. And I've been here for, this will be my 10th year at the Institute. So Wes, what does your work at the AWRI involve? Well, over my time here, I've managed some of the sensory panels that we have. So we have a couple different panels that we use in the same way that you might have a couple different tools. In the shed, we have a couple different panels that we use depending on the questions that we need to answer. And so I've managed a few of those panels. And as time has gone on, I've taken on a few of my own projects. The most recent one involving my uh, PhD, which was basically on the terroir of Shiraz in Australia. And currently I'm working on a project involving low and no alcohol wine. So we're just starting to work in that space as well. You just mentioned you've completed a really significant piece of work looking at the terroir of Shiraz in Australia. Why did you choose to try and delve into those regional characteristics a bit deeper? Well, it's this idea of terroir. It's prolific in the wine industry. The wine people love this idea of how a particular wine can taste and smell like the place that it came from. And if you look at, you know, all the greatest, most expensive wines in the world, they all embrace this idea of terroir. They come from this unique place that has uh, scarcity and lineage and all of that, and that's what makes them special. But that idea hasn't always been really embraced here in Australia in the same way. It wasn't until, you know, maybe over the past 20 or 30 years of the industry where that idea really started to take hold. And so for us, what we wanted to do is we wanted to get a grasp on what that actually means when you say, you know, a Shiraz from the Barossa Valley. What does that mean from a sensory perspective? What does it actually mean? You could say that about some of these other regions in the the old world, in France and Italy, Germany, Spain, but they've been growing grapes in these places for hundreds and hundreds of years, right? So that anecdotal history of the sensory attributes that would be appropriate for that, those places, they have kind of, there's a big background there, but that's not something we don't really have here. And so we wanted to take a methodical scientific approach to try to understand what that means. And it's because of that idea of terroir, there's so many factors to it. It's actually quite hard to do. You really have to wrap your brain around how you might be able to pull apart this idea with some sort of scientific rigor. There's just so many things to control. And so our approach was to start with the sensory and then work backwards and look at chemical composition next and then climactic factors as well that made me driving the chemistry and then further driving the sensory. So we were kind of like reverse engineering, if you will, the terroir from a sensory perspective. It sounds complicated, what you've done. It makes sense, though. Have you worked out a relationship between the sensory and the chemical analysis, or is it just unique to each particular region? We found that there are definitely chemical markers, if you will, in the wines that would say that this wine comes from a particular region. And using some statistical modeling, we could create a model, plug some chemical data in, and it would tell us to a pretty fair amount of certainty what region that would come from. But again, I, I kind of go back to the sensory is, to me, that's what's really important here. And, and of course, you know, I'm a sensory scientist. You got to dance with the girl that brought you, so to speak. That's what's important to me, right? The sensory, if you can't smell and taste those elements in the wine, then do they matter down the road to the consumer? 
I always try to keep that in mind. What are we smelling and tasting? And how can we correlate that with those regional elements? And the, the chemistry, the chemical composition, and you know, the, the related climate data, that'll, of course, they play a huge role in why those things smell the way they do. That was the kind of foundation of what we wanted to do, was to get that sensory and understand why a particular wine smells the way it does and how that relates to where it comes from. Wes, I've seen you talk about telling the story of Australian wine, understanding it better. Is this kind of feeding into that? Does this help producers and consumers understand that story better? Yeah, I, I think it does. I think if we're going to tell these, you know, if we're going to move this down the line to consumers, I think we need to understand it better ourselves. And if you're a small grape grower and you have a small vineyard in a particular region and you've made wine from that vineyard for a long time, yes, of course you would know that that vineyard has particular characters and you can translate to your customers directly. But from a regional perspective, I think if we can have that same idea that we know that all these vineyards from the Barossa Valley and the, the wines that follow along from them, they all have these particular characters and they're uh, you know, recognizable as a Barossa Valley wine in the greater context of things. And it's different from the wines of McLaren Vale and different from the wines of the Hunter Valley and the Yarra Valley and Heathcote or the Clare Valley or wherever. And so that idea, the bunch of knowledge that we can relay to producers now from some of this work that we've done, hopefully that can help in telling that story and delivering that message to the consumers. And it's not necessarily the kind of message that every consumer wants to listen to, but I think what we're targeting here is we're targeting the real switched-on consumer, the people that are buying the ultra-premium wines from around the world. We want to show them that we make wines like that here, and they're technically excellent, but also they tell a story about the place that they come from. And so that's an interesting element to be able to add into that package. And that's what a lot of the greatest wines in the world do is they have that story attached to them, right? And so that's what we're trying to help producers with adding that to their, you know, their toolkit, their marketing toolkit to help tell those stories. And I think that could even proliferate farther down into the individual regions, taking this model that we've done with this work and being able to, to apply it in a more micro scale to their own region to be able to further kind of elaborate on that sensory profile that, that is unique to that region. Wes, will this help consumers cut to the chase a little bit too in terms of, oh, that's a region that has those elements that I like. That region over there, I'm told, has similar sort of elements, so I'm going to try that. Will it distill down like that as well? Yeah, I would hope so. I think, you know, consumers are, I mean, there's this big kind of amorphous thing that we call consumers. But within that, there's huge amounts of different demographics in there. But those people that are kind of upper echelon of purchasing wines, you know, when they buy wines from wherever it is in the world, if we can kind of say that this is our sensory profile here for these wines, and they taste like this, and they reliably taste like this, you can kind of build that into their perceptions of that particular region. And hopefully they come back to it again and again. Whereas one of the things you used was the pivot profile to help define the sensory elements of each particular region. But what is the pivot profile briefly and will it be applied to your work down the track? I think so. I think it's something that we've, uh, we've just been working with since the genesis of this project, I think. So the pivot profile, it's a rapid sensory method. You know, I keep referring back to the, our sensory toolkit. In that toolkit is something that we can use with wine professionals, with winemakers, sommeliers, wine trade, wine researchers, that we can use with them to help to assess wines without any sort of training. 
And so that's a big deal when it comes to sensory evaluation, because when you're training and calibrating a sensory panel, that of course takes time and investment, where if you can have a method that doesn't require any training, you can just bring people in and you can, you can use that method right away. And the investment from time from people is much smaller. It's an excellent tool to be able to have access to. And so I think one of the differences about the pivot profile is that, and different from other methods, is that we've used wine professionals. Generally, we don't use wine professionals when it comes to doing sensory evaluations because they know too much. They have bias. They look at a glass of wine in front of them and they might say, okay, the, the color of the wine is this, but then they start to think about why it's that color and all of those, those questions, they kind of come in and they overanalyze and they get away from the question of just what was the color of the wine. So with a lot of our panels, we just use people from the general public that we've trained up and as they keep using the word calibrated to be uh, sensory panelists, they don't have that bias, right? They just do what they're asked. Where this method, we can use wine professionals, in fact, that bias element or that all that knowledge that they have is actually a benefit to the method. And so in that respect, I think it's something that we'll see us continuing to use because it, it broadens the types of people that we can use as judges and especially wine professionals. You know, they're very experienced. They have a really good language for describing wines and that can be very useful in a sensory context. You can get very precise assessments of these wines. So I think that's a big benefit of this method and I, I think uh, as we go forward, I think it's something that we'll be using more and more. Lastly, Wes, you've been focusing on Shiraz for this particular piece of work for you, but is the work on regional characteristics, is that going to continue for you in the future or are you moving on to something else? I'd like to think that there will be some continuation of this stuff. I'm not sure if it will be me in particular that leads the charge with some of this, but I think one of the big things that we've done with this project is that we've created a model that people can use to do this kind of work in other facets. So we chose Shiraz for our project because it's planted all across the country in every region. It's something that you can count on everywhere. You know, so you're measuring apples and apples in every region, so to speak. Where you could see this going is you could see it more with particular varieties or regional heroes. So Semillon in the Hunter Valley or Grenache in McLaren Vale or Riesling in the Clare Valley. You know, you could have these regional varieties that are particular or heroes and you could really flesh that out a bit more with the same idea, the same understanding the terroir for that particular variety in that particular region as a unique kind of, you know, to fly the flag for that particular region. So hopefully some work like that might get undertaken. But that's kind of where I might see this project going in the future. Wes Pearson, all the best for the road ahead and the remarkable work that you've been doing in this sphere. And thank you very much for joining me in the Australian Wine Research Institute podcast studio. Thanks, Drew. My pleasure. The AWRI Decanted podcast is supported by Australia's grape growers and winemakers through their investment agency, Wine Australia, with matching funds from the Australian government.